This is The Straight Dope, episode 38. Today I'm going to tackle the idea of ethical hunting distance. I'm going to start the conversation and talk about some things that I think might be critical to discuss or think about, share, argue about, and I'm going to jump in some rabbit holes and intentionally avoid some others. I get it. I'm in my basement by myself. I've seen a lot of posts, heard a lot of conversation, been hunting, seen hunting, and realized that this is a bigger topic than one guy can have alone in his basement. But let's do it anyway, because we don't start making changes and having conversations without at least someone opening their mouth. And I'm pretty good at sticking my foot in my mouth to begin with. Now, there are a ton of rifle owners. Many of those rifle owners own rifles to hunt. I see that every fall here in Colorado. People come to the state, people come from the state, and they zero their rifles. I've volunteered at local ranges to help hunters sight in. Some people come with a box of ammo that has some rounds left into it, and they say that they've been using that same box of ammo for the last few years. They've harvested some animals, and they plan to do the same this year. That shows that they're not shooting all that often. Some people that listen to this podcast shoot more than a lot of these hunters will in their entire lifetime in a single season of competition. The problem is shooting competitions is a tiny microcosm. There is huge signal-to-noise ratio on the internet, Instagram, Facebook, coming from the shooting world, but the reality is we're talking about shooters in the hundreds, not the thousands. Hundreds of shooters are investing tens of thousands of dollars to measure themselves against each other. That information is important. We learn a lot about skill, a lot about hitting things. We, we validate ballistics. Some things happen, some things don't, but it's a very small community. A lot of those people also don't have experience outside of competition, and so a lot of misinformation gets tossed around. I'm going to try to be as objective as I can, but I think it's interesting because the majority of rifle owners in our country would, would never and will never compete. Although there are opportunities now with the NRL Hunter Series, and people are now coming to that in order to test themselves in a non-competitive format. There, yes, there is a non-competitive division where you can come do whatever you want and learn the left and right limits of your skill sets and your ability to hit targets beyond what would be a ethical hunting distance for you and your caliber, which is really cool. But again, it's, it, we're often confronted with hunting questions from people who hunt, who love hunting, that will never compete or have an interest in competing. And so we need to separate those uh, issues and topics a little bit, even though we can learn a lot from competitive shooters about hit probability and so on. Now, I use competition as a laboratory for growing my own skill sets. And, and there aren't really ideal competitions for me as an individual, but, but as a laboratory, it's been a fun experience to go test, you know, different rifle systems, different calibers and in different scenarios, because there are a lot of different styles of competition with rifles, especially out here, out West. There's, there's, there are a lot of options for the, for the, you know, small chunk of humans that, 
do these competitions. Now, some of them might have 50 or 60 people that show up once a year to do that particular niche. But nevertheless, it, it does open doors to see what's possible and where your strengths and weaknesses may be. But it's a small community to talk to. And in fact, it's probably the smallest community that I've ever been a part of in any endeavor that I've done. And I've, as a competitive athlete, I've done some obscure things like, you know, I was cross training and just getting involved with, you know, I might, I might meet somebody climbing or swimming or in graduate school or, or, or working in a lab who, who, you know, identifies as an athlete and you say, Oh, what, what do you do? And I went down one rabbit hole once, um, and got into competitive underwater hockey. Now, it sounds, it is weird, <laughs> but it's bigger than shooting, believe it or not. They were on the National Argentina underwater hockey team, and, and it turned out I had a knack for it. I was a competitive, uh, highly ranked uh, competitive uh, swimmer, so, so I'm good in the water, and, I, and I'm, I'm a highly capable um, you know, in, in the aquatic environment. So I was able to, to adapt very quickly to this underwater hockey and I, I loved it. And in fact, I, um, I've broken my nose quite a few times, but I, that, that, that's one of the times I broke my nose was playing competitive underwater hockey with, with national level competitors. And, and again, like those competitions are bigger than a national level rifle match. And, and so, um, you know, as obscure as that is, that's what they think of us when you tell them that we're going to go out and shoot, um, you know, dinner plates at, you know, 400 yards and talk about we're American snipers and stuff. So let's get back to hunting. I always start with rifle craft. Why? Because we don't know what we're going to shoot from. We don't know the position. We don't know the conditions. And so what you need to do is understand the broadest context of your ability. Now, I do draw the line for offhand because if I'm going to shoot a rifle at something at a distance, I'm probably going to rest it on something. Even if it's just a windowsill or a branch or the hood of a car, I don't, I don't necessarily need a game changer and a tripod and, and so on and so forth, but, but I'm probably going to find a rest to shoot an accurate bolt gun shot at distance. If I'm going to shoot up close, I'll probably use a carbine. So I don't practice offhand shooting with my bolt gun. Now I should because I realized you know, screwing around that my hit probability is pretty low with a bolt gun and I can shoot better offhand with a carbine than I can a bolt gun. But nonetheless, the rifle craft stuff provides you the opportunity to measure and quantify your groups from unknown positions. So you pick four heights and you shoot a build and break from those. And the reason we do build and break is because you could have some settling that happens after the first shot. So it's good to have the build the position, break the shot, know that data, repeat that. So 12 shots isn't necessarily statistically significant, but it gives you a better concept of your overall shooting ability. Now, the more targets you do and the more you practice, the more you realize that your shooting group isn't the same as your load development group or testing your zero or testing to see how your rifle shoots some, some ammo from an ideal position and you shoot a couple shots and you show off your, uh, you know, uh, app-measured micro-shooting group. That's not what we want to do. What we want to do is have a realistic view of where your shot's going to go if you shoot at something and what's the what's the smallest target that most of your shots are going to probably hit. And I say most of them and and I might in the future forget that I'm saying most and and say all, but what I'm I'm, I'm trying to say like statistically significant, like 95% of your shots, you know, something could happen and you could you could blow a shot. We we all know we can do that. But but you know, if you shoot 
3.8 inches, which is average for the Riflecraft users. That's probably above the national average because I'm measuring people who take the time to enter it on the website and understand their shooting. But let's give people the benefit of the doubt, and we'll talk to Riflecraft users. If you're not a Riflecraft user, I would suggest you go subscribe because it helps support the podcast, helps uh, me talk about stuff, and, and it helps push things in the direction of your interests and outlets. And... Uh, it's cool, right? It's voting with your wallet and saying, you know, I, I believe in this project. I think it'll make me a better shooter. But anyway, 3.8 inches is about average. I'm going to round that up to four. And I'm going to round up a lot of things because I'm speaking in generalities. And I'm speaking in generalities to, 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 to do it conceptually. I'm, I'm going to say one MOA is an inch. So if you want to fight on the internet about micro details that you can't outshoot. If you want to argue about it, you first have to demonstrate to me that you can outshoot what we're arguing about. Okay. That that'll open the door and I'm I'm happy to 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 debate that stuff. But anyway, for me in this conversation, I'm going to talk about an MOA as an inch. I'm going to talk about average shooter groups being four inch and ethical hunting distances and wind calls based on your gun number. So the knowledge that we've got now is that the average shooter is shooting about four inches from an unknown position. Granted, if you got prone or you always shoot off a single position, that group could get smaller. And that's knowledge that's good for you to have because you can make educated decisions on the shots that you're going to take if you have that opportunity. But you don't always have that opportunity. So let's start from an unknown position like I imagine hunting in the West here. Every time I've gone hunting, I can't predict the position that I'm going to shoot in. I can't predict a lot of things. But I can know that my group is two inches. And from that two, I scale it out, and then I stack on my win number. So let's talk about that for a sec. The average shooter is four inches. Now, you might think because it's four inches at 100, it would be eight inches at 200, 12 inches at 300, 16 inches at 400, and 20 inches at 500. Now, if that was always true, this would be a different conversation. It's not. But let's just start and let's humor that for a sec. If that's true, and let's say that we find an elk and its kill zone is about 16 inches. Now, I've never seen an elk with a kill zone that was tattooed and painted and perfectly displayed, but I, I would say that's probably a fair, that's probably a fair estimate of a kill zone of an elk. They've got big heart, they've got a lot of lungs, um, and if that's true, and the average shooter could probably hit 400 yards. The problem is there's environmental factors, stress factors, ballistic factors, positional factors that go into there. Do they all have the same weight? No, of course not. I think that I see a lot of posts that people put on there that justify their shots based off of the ballistics, the pure ballistic data, like the Brian Litt stuff. And they use that data to say, okay, I have, you know, 1,200 foot-pounds, and I'm, I'm making up some of these numbers. I have 1,200 foot-pounds at 1,000 yards, so I can shoot and kill an elk at 1,000 yards. And yes, if it has the foot-pounds and it hits the kill zone at 1,000 yards, then it could kill it for sure, right? That, that data is data. But the problem is that, that people don't have the skill requisite to do to guarantee that they're going to hit the thing that they're aiming at, right? At the NRL finale, I heard Travis Sushita say, you know, um, who thinks they can hit a, a mile offhand? And and there was no, you know, and I, I kind of yelled from the squad next door, I, I'll bet you a thousand bucks I can hit a mile offhand. You know, there was a huge, like, 800-foot cliff about a mile away. 
Um, and, and it, you know, I think a lot of people could probably hit that cliff offhand. Uh, you can hit something, but when you start defining the limits of size, now you, you start whittling that away. And so if, if, um, if, if we start defining and putting rules on things like, oh, it's not just getting the bullet to a mile and hitting something. It's actually like hitting something in particular that's smaller than a 600-foot cliff. Okay, now, now we start layering in other complicating factors, and people start backpedaling, and they start, well, 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 and, and, and then we start talking statistics. And, and instead of avoiding and, and, and arguing on the statistical side, I'm going to try to stick with the 95%, right? The, the statistically significant, like, you know, basically you could say that you're going to hit it there if these factors line up. So thinking about the energy, yeah, you need the energy. If that's, if that's not there, then you need to find something that has the energy. But, but for the most part, people aren't trying to game the system, right, by underpowering and doing all sorts of stuff so that they could pull off a shot, right? This, it's not like a competition where people are making, you know, 30-pound bolt-down rifles in order to have no recoil, right? We're talking about the ability to shoot a target of a specific size, the size being whatever the kill zone is of that species, accurately. Well, you figure that out, first of all, by figuring out what your shooter number is. If you shoot four inches and you have a 16-inch kill zone, that means that there, you, know, you have to be in a, basically in a vacuum to shoot at 400 yards. And we're not in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is as wind starts to layer in, it has an influence on the bullet. Right, the bullet leans into the wind, and the back of it kind of drags away from the wind. So you get this movement effect, and you can read about the specific science involved with that in in, in uh, like Brian Litt's posts and stuff like that. I think some of that people use to justify or get away from their lack of capability by saying like, "Oh, my my gun shoots quarter inch, and and you know here's all this you know it's an eight mile an hour gun and all this shit." And then it's like, "Yeah, but you shoot ten inches, so none of that matters." And so. Um, a four-inch shooter can't reliably hit a 16-inch plate. It, it, let's say we had 100 shots, and we have that four-inch shooter shoot at a 16-inch plate at 400 yards, the, all 100 shots, right? They're not going to hit all 100 shots because of the environment. To make this easy, and because I've talked about wind number and gun number, let's say that we're shooting... Uh, four mile an hour gun, right? Or a five mile an hour gun or a six mile an hour gun. At the distance of that, a mile an hour is approximately a tenth, right? A tenth, uh, and that's that's like um, a third, right? A, a, a little less than a third of an MOA. If you had a perfect wind call to a mile an hour, you're going to still add a tenth to your group, right? So a third of an MOA. So at 400 yards, you know, you're going to add a little over an inch, which means that now you're going to have some shots missing off the left and right, even if they're perfect. Now, that's probably not very much. And maybe you could say, well, you know, instead of a 16-inch kill zone, it's a 17-inch kill zone. All right, all right, dude. You won the internet today. But according to Brian Litz, the very best shooters, like the ones that would get Olympic gold at, at something that none of us do, can read it down to the one mile an hour. But but the rest of us can't do that. And I've never really seen a shooter capable of reading it to the mile an hour. To me, I think that like at PRS matches, we have like a 
two to three mile an hour for the very best shooters, and that's refined down with use of a squad. So you got 10 guys boiling it down through trial and error through a couple shooters to like two or three miles an hour variability. So for the sake of argument, I'm going to say three miles an hour. So if you have a four mile an hour gun and you're shooting at 400 yards and, you, and you're good at reading wind and you get it to three miles an hour, you're going to have 0.3, right? Or, you know, I, I get that the MOA is 0.36, but let's say 0.3-ish, almost a whole MOA more. So now you're talking about 19 to 20 inches of your group. And now you're starting to get a little bit fishy in terms of ethics. Now I get it, like you're killing something. Is there ethics in killing? I don't know. That's not a conversation I want to have with you. I'm just saying that as a generic term, ethical shots and unethical shots, to me, seem to be defined by the community as shots made at the kill zone or shots that hit the animal out of the kill zone. So if you shoot it in the guts and it dies, I think that people would say that's unethical. If you shoot it through the neck, it's unethical. I don't know if it's Ethical or not, if you shoot it in the head and kill it in one shot, my guess is it would probably be ethical. But was it intentional? I don't know. Those are interesting questions. And I imagine there may be laws in various places that allow for that. I, I know from in, in Africa, a lot of the shots taken on those big game are to the head, not to the kill zone. And so it it's situationally dependent. But what I'm going to use as Ethical hunting is a shot made to the kill zone and hit in the kill zone. If you shoot its knees out and it can't go anywhere, that's unethical. And if you shoot its guts or its tail or its spine, you know, and its low back and it can't walk but it's sitting there, uh, you know, that that's what's considered unethical. And I know that plenty of people do that. And and I'm I'm I guess I'm judging, but we're talking about shooting and hitting a kill zone. Now that doesn't apply when you go out and shoot prairie dogs, right? Because they just explode and chipmunks and other things. But that's not really hunting. That's just going and shooting prairie dogs. And you see the effects of cavitation on, on fast bullets. And um, But but I'm, I'm let's just talk about hunter because hunting and the hunter series and that kind of stuff, it's exciting and a lot of people are doing it. So you know your shooter number and now we need to go out and assess your ability to read wind. To me, the best way to do that is to take your shooter number, go to that distance, and measure the deviation from your point of aim in terms of tenths with your bracket, or double it and make every tenth two miles an hour and work your way in. And, 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 and you only get one shot every day. So, you, so um, you know, I, I have a, a detailed logbook when I go out to distance, which I don't do a ton. Um, and these days I'm trying to go to just competitions for, for training and data collection. But I go out the distance and I take that first shot. And if I'm going to take a second one, I change the angle and direction and, and distance so that at least I have to calculate those variables into it. And then I make note of like maybe four shots from different angles, different directions, different speeds. And then I leave. So on a wind day, I may only take four or five shots, drive home. Note that and note the deviation. Many of you are going to need a pretty big plate to do that. If you if, 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 and and you need to be able to measure that and measure the variability in the wind so that you could say okay, well on days like this you know, I'm plus or minus 3 or 4 miles an hour. And it helps to have a wide plate so that you have a lot of budget. I tend to carry around a 24-inch square and I put that at every distance because 
whatever I'm doing, I can measure it in mils. I'll paint it, measure it in mils, shoot, learn what my wind speed reading ability is. But the better you get at assessing your ability to read wind, the more educated you can make a first round impact or the attempt at a shot. But let's say that you have a three, three to four mile an hour ability to guess the wind. Now you're going to be adding an MOA to your shooter bracket. If you don't know what a shooter bracket is, you could subscribe to Riflecraft and we calculate it for you. You can listen to the first podcast at the straight dope, or you can um, go measure it yourself by measuring your group size um, with, with your reticle. But adding an MOA is pulling back your effective hunting distance. For example, if, if you're a four-inch shooter and you add three to four miles an hour to it, you've gone from 400 yards to 300 yards as your effective shooting range. Some of you might not be able to read the wind to six miles an hour, and that's going to pull it back even closer to maybe 250, 260 yards. But by doing that, you can guarantee that you're going to hit the kill zone of the animal. Now, what happens if you range a deer and it's 500 yards away and you've calculated that your ethical hunting range is 270 yards based on your ability to read the wind, stress, and an unknown shooting position? Well, you can do a couple things. If you know for sure that your bracket is cut in half by shooting prone and you have a prone shot, you can, you can make those calculations by changing the position. But you're better off understanding the maximum distance from an unknown position and then working it in to justify it with data rather than just, ah, fuck it, I'm going to take a shot. Because you're responsible for the round that leaves that barrel for, for better or for worse. And the only way to guarantee that what you intended to do happens is by using all of the data that you've collected to make that shot and make it work for you. But another thing that I think is interesting with hunting, especially, you know, for me, it's not about a long shot. Like I, I think getting close to an animal is pretty exciting. And to, you know, if, if, if I had a shot at 700 yards, I probably wouldn't take it. I, I want to get under a hundred yards just because I think it's fun to try to sneak up on animals and it gives them an opportunity to do what they need to do now, but I'm not hunting to survive. So if, if it was a survival issue, that's totally different, right? And I bet my ethics probably change if it's a survival issue versus a, a hunting scenario. So this might be a different, different conversation if, if that were the fact. But by combining your wind reading data, which you need to take over a series of days, and training your positions, you can hedge bets in your favor. The hard part here is it takes a little bit of work to train your positions, and it takes a lot of work to train your wind calling ability, but that's data and time and money invested in the right direction. A lot of people spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to go on fancy hunts. If you, if you spend a fraction of that on your shooting ability, then I wouldn't hear so many stories of, well, I took a shot, but you know went over its back or went behind it, went underneath it. Shit, I remember my first shot at an elk, the elk was at 500 something yards. We didn't have a, we didn't range it. And, and, and the guy, you know, my buddy was like, I, I think it's like 160. So I took a shot at 160 and I shot the snow like halfway between us and the elk. And, and, and fortunately, like, you know, it was a good lesson learned that you should probably range and so on. But, but, uh, you know, stuff happens when, when you're not thinking straight 
And in order to think straight, you need to do some preparation and some anticipation of the things that you're going to encounter when you're out in the field. And uh, wind number, gun number, the ability to locate, range, and engage, and then having the fitness to be able to keep yourself calm under stress to take those shots is very important, I think. And those are things that we can quantify. In fact, the unconventional skills assessment that we're that that we're launching here in Colorado is is trying to do a lot of that, and it's saying like we're we're going to determine your ability to read the wind to as accurately as possible. We're going to determine your ability to shoot off of a variety of conditions, a variety of positions, a variety of stability factors, using your uh, rifle, our rifles, and other things to, in order to better quantify your capabilities in different scenarios and different environments to achieve the goal that you're going after. Now, we all have different goals. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, but it's good to know what your strengths and weaknesses are so that you can work on them and also understand your fundamental capabilities because when it comes time to do something, it's better to know that you can do it. And if you can't, know that you can't and what to change in order to accomplish that goal because it's not necessarily an issue of can't. It's, okay, 700 yards, I need to get closer. That's not a can't. That's actionable information. If I get actionable information, I understand my capabilities, I understand the goal, and you say, you know, there's, there's an animal a 1,000 yards from here. It's over there. Okay, I can climb up a cliff to the left. I can swim down a river to the right. I can sneak through the bushes ahead of me. What do I do? I know I could do either one of those. Okay, cool. What's going to be the fastest? Is it moving? Is it static? Is it big? Is it small? Is it spooky? I don't, you know, you, all those factors. And then you start to whittle down, okay, well, which one is going to be the easiest for me? Which one's going to be the hardest for me? Which one's going to have the outcome that is favorable to what I need, right? All those depend on the situation that you're in and the context. But, you know, let's say it's hunting or, or you know, or, or I've never hunted a grizzly bear, but let's say there's a grizzly bear and it was going to eat me. And I was trying to sneak up close to it. Well, I would probably want to do something that I could do that it couldn't do, right, if I needed to get away. And I know they can't climb cliffs. So, you know, I'm going to probably hedge, hedge the, the cliff scenario in my favor because it could, it could probably run through a river as fast as I can or faster, probably climb up a tree as well as I can. It definitely doesn't give a shit about bushes. Um, you know, I've been charged by grizzlies before, and, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's like running at an F-150, right? If you think that you know, anyway, I don't want to get into that, but it's, it's interesting, but you can use information and knowledge and understanding of yourself and use that in your favor. Now, if your hunting goal is to go out and shoot a deer and it's got a, let's say a 12 inch kill zone and you shoot three inches, right? We're not talking about a 400 yard shot anymore. As far as I'm concerned, we're talking about looking at the wind number of your gun and your ability. Now it could be 350. If you're shooting something with a, with a wind speed of, uh, gun number of eight, let's say you're shooting a PRC or something, or something a little bit faster. Something, some of these hunting calibers that are big are like eight to 10 mile an hour guns. Well, if you, at 10 mile an hour gun, if you're plus or minus five miles an hour at 350 yards, you've got massive wind budget. And your ethical hunting distance might be pretty darn close to your group size in, the, in that scenario if it's close enough. Uh, you know, if your group is, is, is three or four inches and you've got a 10-mile-an-hour rifle and you can literally shoot it three or four inches at 10 miles an hour at 350 yards, you might have the wind budget to be able to accomplish that shot. 
But you need to have that data, I think, in order to make those decisions and not just say, well, fuck it. My, you know, I got 1,200 yards of energy and um, the, you know, my, when I sighted in my barrel and shot a group, it was half an inch. And so that justifies everything. And that's not only is it uneducated, it's completely misusing the wrong information. And it's really easy these days for people to take data and information and misuse it and mislead themselves, right? And, and you see that a lot. And, and, and in a community that's as small as ours, I think we need to fight the idea that this misinformation is being used and it's propagating things outside of our community. Because, you know, a good competition shooter understands the elements involved in making and taking a shot and shooting under speed and time because points are on the line. But a shooter that shoots four rounds a year, they might not understand the, the, that gap that needs to be bridged between skill and technology. And companies, I think, lean on the fact that hunters aren't going to educate themselves as well as they should. They don't understand their shooting capabilities, but fuck it, we're going to sell them a $1,000 rifle and some ammo, and they can go deal with it themselves because it's not our responsibility. And I think as shooters, we need to look out for each other, right? Uh, yeah, there's plenty of shitbags out there, and some of them are famous and represent big companies. But we have a say in how we want to be seen, and some of that is educating and being nice and responsible and respectful Saying, well, let's take another look at this. And instead of doing it that way and having low odds of hitting the animal, let's think about it this way and have high odds of hitting the animal. Is it really going to matter if a 600-yard shot, if you have to walk a couple hundred yards closer to make it a 400-yard shot? Probably not, right? And you could probably use the exercise. And, you know, I think that, that it's mind-boggling when it comes down to it, to me, it seems pretty simple. It's simple as a starting point, at least, to say, okay, you have to have the energy, great. You want a light rifle, great. You need a heavy rifle, I don't care, right? That's just exercise. Do you want to be able to take a shot? Awesome, what do you need? Well, for me, I need a tripod. Okay, I'll carry the tripod, but that's a lot of work. Well, life's a lot of work, okay. What, what's the minimum of equipment that I need to keep my shots within a, a certain size so that I can hunt within this distance? Those are questions that are easy to answer. Now, you're not necessarily going to whip out your Kestrel and get your DA and get all this stuff. So, so there are complicating factors on top of that, some of which you can hammer out in an event like an NRL hunter. You, you have a DA card. You have, a, uh, you, know, you have an idea of wind. You've done your homework. And then now you fine-tune it. You can't whip it out on the stage. You can't see the stage. You don't even know the direction you're shooting in. But you can work on taking more knowledge and applying it with less help. And as you detach yourself from that umbilical cord, you can start to use that data more reactively and faster and on the clock. I think that's really exciting. For me, that's one element of those hunter matches that I really appreciate. It's that you know I made DA cards that are appropriate. You might not even have an accurate DA card, but, but if you can get out in the field and take a shot, you could say, oh, well, my bullet went a little bit high. The DA must have shifted, and then you have a hard data card. Understanding that the direction of the wind has a huge impact on the the overall effect on the bullet, well, how hard, how strong is the wind actually blowing? If the wind is blowing six miles an hour and there's a 25% variation, you know, we're still, we're talking about a mile and a half or something like that, right? If the wind speed, like, like we saw last week was like 36 miles an hour 
and there's a 25% variation if I get the angle wrong. Now we're talking about a much big, you know, we're talking about eight miles an hour. Eight miles an hour probably is bigger than the plate itself, right? Or maybe even bigger than the kill zone considering people's shooting groups. So knowing what you're working with can allow you to make those adjustments in your plan. And then logistically, you make it work for you. And I think that that's what's empowering to me about this concept of getting data, understanding your capabilities, testing them. And then, you know, we're, humans are smart. Humans are creative. You can take the logistical element of life and say, you know, I have these components. I need them to work for me. And not just go out and say, oh, well, fuck it. You know, I'm, you know, whatever. Jesus, take the wheel or, or something like that. Like, why? Why would you, like, have all of this ability, all of this knowledge and brain power, right? The, the, the fanciest supercomputer in the universe is between your ears. And not hedge it in your favor. Hedging it in your favor just simply means using the data that you have and putting yourself in the position where it will work for you to accomplish the goal that you want. And so to me, that's where we start talking about ethical shooting distance. Know your wind reading ability. Know your ability to get into a position and take a shot. Measure the 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 reason I don't want to talk about external ballistics beyond wind is that you know, at 400 yards, if you have an extreme spread of 30, right, or a standard deviation of, you know, 5, 6, 10, 12, it, it's really a non-issue, right? If you, I mean, it would be interesting to see people that are capable of outshooting those loading parameters within an ethical hunting distance. That, that would be an interesting study for me, and I think that that would be... Um, not that many people. I made an initial post on Facebook and Chad Heckler jumped in and he said, well, you know, with my 300 something or other, you know, my guess is it would be, you know, 760 yards or something like that. Well, Chad Heckler has won the AG Cup and he's won PRS matches and he probably can read the wind to two miles an hour, two or three miles an hour. And he can probably shoot a one inch, you know, a one inch to one and a half inch craft number so let's say um let's say it's it's let's even just say two just for shits right but even though he he shoots better than that with a two uh let me just uh, think out loud here at 700 yards we got a 14 inch group right plus or minus uh three his 300 is probably a 10 mile an hour gun right so he's got three miles an hour which would be um maybe 0.2 variability in wind at that point, 0.2, let's say even say 0.3. So 14 inches, and, and then you've got, uh, you know, let's see, 0.2. So we got we add six inches to that, so 14. So we got 20 inches at uh, 700 yards, you know. Like, he, he probably pull off that shot, and um, and that's that that's probably effective for him on an elk at, at 700 yards, right? Um, so... But it's probably not for someone else. But he knows his ability better than just about anybody out there shooting. And he's put in the rounds and has said collected the data. And so somebody like that, it's a different conversation versus somebody who hasn't collected all of that data. Now I've invited him out here to do my assessment because I want to have a shooter like him run through my assessment as I um, am making those quantification stuff. So I, although yeah, I'm not going to share the information on his shooting publicly when he does it, it would be interesting. I think that he could definitely hunt ethically at 700 yards, no problem. 
800 yards, probably no problem. But for many shooters, that's much too far to guarantee that you're going to hit a kill zone on the size of an animal that you're going to be hunting, you know, here in North America and guarantee that you hit it where you're going to hit it. Now, there are probably some tips and tricks. And if you go out with a guide that has tips and tricks for that, I'm not just going to start talking about that on a podcast because I don't, I don't want to have people doing things other than working on your own shooting ability and starting to think about the metrics that are important for you to hit a shot. But I would start with getting your unknown shooting positions, getting your wind reading ability, testing your stress and testing your shooting positions, adding them all together and mapping that out in terms of your maximum distance. And if you want to if you want to extend it beyond that, then you have to start picking the position. You have to start picking the terrain, getting better at your wind speed, and start doing very, very specific things. But at some point, that's much less interesting uh, of a hunt than just going out and trying to find an animal and do what you can to get close to it and and shoot it. You know, and it sounds much more like you know, like I've seen places that have like a little stand built and a feeder 150 yards away, and like to me that that's not hunting. Like. I mean, that, that's like one small step removed from just going to the grocery store and buying a steak or buying some pork. And that's cool because if you're going there to get meat, like, awesome. You know, at, at you know, 4 p.m., the hogs are going to come to the feeder and you can shoot it 150 yards and grab it and throw them in the smoker. That's freaking awesome. But that definitely does not, like, put you on superhunterwhatever.com. Um, it, it pretty much just means you're saving a few bucks from going to the grocery store. But, uh, but I'm talking about going out and making a shot in unknown terrain, unknown distance, unknown location, and being able to say, I'm going to do that. Those are things that, that would apply to other uh, fields of shooting, other applications as well. But, but, but then there are other complicating factors that really fall back on your skill sets and your ability to handle yourself in environments that are much riskier. But, but the idea of saying that, that you know there's tons of firearm owners out there, there are tons of hunters and trying to educate people that miss those hunting shots or make unethical hunting shots as to what elements are important. To me, your ability to read the wind and your ability to assess yourself across positions and then under stress is the base on which decisions need to be made and not just that you hit a paper plate at 100 or 200 yards, should be good enough. That, and, that, and that could be totally true if you're shooting at between 100 and 200 yards. But some people say that, and then they look at their box of ammo and say, all right, well, down to 600 yards, it's the same thing. And, and that's just, you don't have enough information to be able to make good decisions, right? And so to me, it sounds kind of like somebody that had a few drinks and is like, well, I feel like I'm okay to drive. Like, no, that's not. So let's start the conversation here and... If you agree or disagree or want to argue or think I said something wrong, um, that's not totally unusual, but that, that's kind of where I'm coming from here. Uh, hit me up, chrisrway at gmail.com. Message me on Instagram. Message me on Facebook. And, and let's talk about hunting and goals and educating people that aren't interested in competitions and introducing them to ways to improve their skill sets and improve their knowledge and capability and get the ball rolling to raise the bar for shooters that have all sorts of goals and try to make shortcuts for them to have the right information for the applications that they're using their rifles for. Till next time.